Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 51 of A Better Father. So apparently there is a robot called Moxie that you can buy for your kid who doesn't have friends. Uh, I stumbled across this on a YouTube advertisement, which I found a couple of good things, at least one good thing called Mudwater on there, which was pretty awesome. Uh, but I watched this video and it was just so heartbreaking. There's this kid who's sad and it shows two parents sitting there staring at their kid in his room alone, sad. And then they get him this little moxie robot that talks to him, that's his friend. And then you see mom and dad standing in the doorway of his room, so excited as he plays and talks with his friend Moxie, like he made a friend. It is so incredibly heartbreaking to think that a parent's solution to their kid not having a friend to play with now has a thousand dollar robot with a monthly subscription that costs whatever that's supposed to like be this kid's friend and i just i i keep expressing and getting more down the rabbit hole on just how bad screens are for kids but oh my gosh like it so before covid i was taking some classes at uh indiana purdue of fort wayne and i was working on a paper and it was related to kids and screen time and all this stuff so i <laughs> was reading about how when we read stuff on screens and they're doing the scientific research and the test, you know, finally, or at least it's getting out finally, that we don't remember things as well if we read it on a screen. And they're, again, still just learning and figuring that out. But not only that, but when we interact with a screen, our brains get less out of it. And by that, I mean, they did some research on people going to an art museum and instead of just standing there, enjoying the picture, taking it in, having an experience there, people were, would use their phones and take pictures and, you know, record stuff. And they just went around not being in the museum, just recording that they were in the museum so they could have the memory for later, whatever the point of it was. But they found that when they did follow-ups with these people, like outside of the building and then, you know, down the road with them to try to try to see like what they remembered of their experience, the people who spent their time taking videos and pictures had way less of a good experience. They remembered so much less about the museum and the art and what was there and what they experienced and what they had. And the people who actually walked around and looked at the paintings and talked about them with their friends and enjoyed it and were made it an experience of being there with the out a cell phone or a camera, remembered it better and more down the road. And again, they're doing the research with reading on a Kindle, reading on an iPad, all these things. And our brains just are not absorbing the same way staring at these screens as they do when we read a book or learn from a book or learn from a person. And it's pretty disheartening. And I'm not going to try to rabbit hole too hard on this because the whole point was to knock on this moxie thing. But that when we're teaching our kids through YouTube videos, they, if, if they're not remembering things as well, if they're reading on a screen or whatever, I just, I, the long-term impacts of this, I think are going to be pretty fundamental and, or non-fundamental as the case may be, like, because if they're not going to remember things as well, learning it from a screen. And one of the first things I remember reading, which again, these were just stupid arguments with my ex about if you read to it, like, Having a grandparent read over a Kindle or read over, you know, FaceTime or whatever, you know, fine, do it. But it doesn't 
have the same residence for helping the kid learn, grow, or retain that information. And you're not doing it for the kid at that point. You're doing it for the grandparent. And the kid's not really, and again, this is just where they're at research-wise and what they're figuring out, is that it doesn't do anything for the kid. And then people are like, oh, they're pointing at the screen. Oh, they're pointing at grandma. It's like, no, no, they're not. (laughs) They're pointing at the light. They're pointing at the movement and all these things. It has nothing to do with the person on the other end. And, And when you read to a kid, there is literally nothing better than your voice present with them. Now, again, people have to make exceptions. They do things, yes, you're trying to build connection or whatever. But if you're looking out for the kid, if you're just trying to do what's best for the kid to help teach them to process words, learn words, learn to read, do all these things, in person with your voice talking to them in that moment is the thing that, again, research is showing is going to be the thing that pushes them forward and has the most resonance with them. It's just there is a disconnect when it comes to technology and educating. And so when I see this moxie, I'm just like, oh my God, one, people are probably falling for it. Two, wasn't that long ago, I probably would have bought it for my nephew thinking I'm the coolest, greatest uncle ever. And he would have had this like, probably at the time, I mean, again, relatively speaking, had this thing existed when I would, you know, was just a single dude with lots of money and doing whatever I wanted. What about this for my nephew, been a freaking hero, and either he would have loved this thing or it would have been a $1,200 piece of junk sitting in the corner, which probably would have been the best place for it at the end of the day. And so I just, it's just nuts. And to think that if your kid is sad and lonely, mom and dad are standing a room away staring at him pathetically, And then think, oh, I know, let's spend $1,000 on a robot for him to have a friend. I was literally, and it keeps popping up, and I just keep thinking, walk over and hug your kid. (laughs) Like, this video, this commercial should not be about a $1,000 robot. It should be about how to connect with your kid who's sad and lonely. Like, if mom and dad have time to stand there and look pathetically at their kid, they have time to read to them. Like, it's just nuts. And it is heartbreaking because there are people who are going to buy that and some kid is going to start learning his social skills or whatever from this robot. And it's just not like if kids are not retaining and learning and getting as much out of YouTube and online learning and blah, 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 then I really don't think the emotional connection is going to happen with this robot. Like, I just don't think it's going to happen. And oh, God, it's just it's so sad that this is a thing that somebody has put time and effort and money in it. And don't get me wrong, the tech geek side of me is like, that thing looks kind of cool. I would put it on my desk and play with it. But I I, I just, I don't know. Uh, Literally, I just don't know. And it's sad that's where we're kind of headed right now with our lives. It's sad that that's a, a thing. And just for the record, so you can check it out, I will link to it in the show notes just so you can see it. And please don't buy it. Please don't get sucked in. Please don't think, holy crap, that is kind of cool. Because it is kind of cool. Just not for your sad, pathetic, lonely, needs a friend kid. Like, oh my God. Okay, so that's that little mini rant there because just, oh God, it's heartbreaking. Play with your kids, sit with your kid, read to your kid if what you're teaching them is I have a thousand dollars to spend on you because I'm working a job that allows me to not spend time with you but spend a thousand dollars on a robot for you like 
Yeah, I don't I don't see that ending well. I just I don't. Uh, so I'm gonna make a hard hard right here, and I just finished listening to, and of course I learned about this book from Ryan Holiday on his Daily Stoic podcast. It's called Four Thousand Weeks: Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And I think one of the main points of this book is what the 4,000 weeks stands for. Now, if you don't know, get ready to have your mind blown because if you live to be 80 years old, that means you have 4,000 weeks on this earth. That's it. 4,000 weeks is all you get if you live to 80. And then he did the math if you're 90 or 100. It only goes up to like 4,600 weeks and then like 5,800 weeks or whatever. Like, that's not a lot of time when you put it that way. Like, literally in your head, I assume, if you're like me, all of a sudden you're sort of going, well, 52 weeks in a year. And then once you do, like, so if it's two, like, your brain just doesn't want to accept that. You start doing the math and you start breaking it down and you start trying to think, like, no, this guy somehow got away with titling his book and writing an entire book off a fallacy or just making crap up because it can't be 4,000 weeks is all we get if we live to be 80 years old. And yeah, that's that's kind of where it's at. Like, oh my God. So take a minute to let that settle in because once, and again, it's still in my mind. Like I'm still trying to add the 52 weeks. I'm still trying to add the years up. And like, I'm trying to do the math of like, okay, well, two years is 104 weeks. That's no way that it gets up to 4,000 weeks. And that's all we get. Like, but the point of the book was, and again, I just finished it today, is to is to kind of take a look at that. And then when we put things in, when we live our lives and we don't think about them, we just do, then we, we don't, we don't get the right focus or we have trouble getting the right focus or we have trouble deciding what it is we want to do because we don't process time. And part of the stoic meditations marcus aurelius thing is memento mori uh i've heard different interpretations of it but the short of it is you could die tomorrow this could be your last day on earth and try to think about that in that process but even that is kind of a a disconnect because tomorrow is 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 tangible like you can you can almost accept on a certain level like yeah something could happen where I die today or I could not wake up tomorrow, whatever. And your brain just kind of almost accepts that as like a reality without like really thinking on it or getting getting metaphysical on it or anything like that. Just you can accept that. But when somebody tells you, you have 4,000 weeks to live, then all of a sudden you start to like, oh crap. Like it totally changes your perspective on what you have. And then when you start breaking that down with your kid, if you have a kid, if that's where you're at, or your significant other or your parents or whatever it is, like if my parents right now, hold on a sec. So doing quick math, that leaves my mom, theoretically, if she lived to be 80, about 636 weeks left. Like that's that's a tangible number. Like the fact that I could die in a car accident Tomorrow is just a reality of getting in a car and it just doesn't resonate. But when you think of things in terms of counting down from 4,000 and now it's like, oh, we, we're doing this. We're in this. This is happening. It just totally reconnects everything in a different way. 
And I've been struggling with the things we teach our kids. And it's really been kind of a mind cluster of what it is we're doing with this time and what it is we're doing with our kids and the effort. I just got in a talk with somebody about how theoretically, and, it, and go on this path with me, but so I, I'll just put it all on the table. I make about 40000 a year right now. It's about 12000 less than I was making 10 years ago when I quit my job to raise my daughter, which means you know, do the math where I would be at today versus where I was then, chances are with promotions and everything, I'd probably be hitting about a hundred thousand or more a year, if not way more a year, if, you know, depending on how promotions and stuff we got. If I didn't go that far, I'd still be pushing 60, 70, 80, 90,000 a year. Now, theoretically, and there's no way to prove this unless to do it, but theoretically, let's say I went and got a job where I could manage a restaurant and be making 50, 60, 70,000 a year. Probably not quite like that. That's not exactly how life works. It would be great if it did, but it doesn't. But let's say I did, and in running a restaurant, I've done it, and I know you're working anywhere between 50 and 70 hours a week. Now, let's say on the high end, which this probably would not happen, but let's say I started off at 70, probably more likely between 40 and 50 anyway, where I'm at now. But I was at 70. Babysitters nowadays charge 15, 20 bucks an hour. And trust me, I've looked into it because I was paying people more to watch my daughter than I was making at the time, especially because they weren't getting taxed on that. That was cash out of my pocket. So I was literally paying something more money than I was making to watch my daughter for me, which I would love to be able to say I would do hands down every time without a problem, except the I mean, that's math. It doesn't work. I can't keep paying something, somebody more money than I make to do something. So now I have less time with my daughter. Somebody else is picking her up from school. Somebody else is raising her. Somebody else is putting her to bed. Somebody else is making her dinner. Potentially somebody else is waking up with her because who knows where I'm at if I'm working 50, 60, 70 hours a week to run a restaurant five to more likely seven days a week going in at six, seven, eight in the morning and staying in there till nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two o'clock in the morning and then wash, rinse, repeat. Like it's not worth it. One, I'm paying probably nearly half of that sum just to do childcare, daycare, have somebody pick her up, take care of her. What am I doing with, you know, the days that I get stuck at work, who's picking it? Like all the complications, all the stress, all the things that go into that, all the money that gets divided and split up from that. The fact I'm trusting somebody else with my kid during my time with her it just it gets pointless and you just rabbit hole out into the spot where that money gets less and less and it and the division comes and to this person's credit they didn't say anything but to be like oh you could be making that much money like they don't people don't think about where that money's going or what that time is and honestly as heartbreaking as it is i just don't think people always factor in that time with their kids um I'm listening to another book right now that I won't dive into, but it was literally they've done, you know, the studies and stuff on lawyers when, and they use lawyers as the example, that when it comes to spending time with their kids, if you think somebody, and again, people make judgments, pass judgments and do things without trying to figure out why. But with lawyers, even when it comes to their kid, their brains get so stuck in this process that they factor it in. They're like, ooh, my time's worth more than a soccer game. My time's worth more. What am I making or losing to go to this soccer game? And they 
their life gets boiled down to that and not because they're bad people it's because that becomes their life and again that's not everybody that's not a universal they've done the studies blah blah, blah. so looking at that the trade-offs that i'm making and again it boils down to i just buy less crap i don't need i have less stuff i don't need I'm calmer, I'm happier, I'm more present with my daughter. I'm not stressed out over who called in sick. I'm not stressed out over a manager not showing up. Or, I mean, even when I worked in a restaurant with me and two other managers, one of them, one of the manager's wife had a kid and we pitched in and we took care of him, made sure he got to spend time with the kid. But one, he was back way quicker than he should have been because restaurants definitely don't give a crap. And too it was like oh now and again i didn't have any kids at the time whatever i didn't care but i was like oh now my plans are canceled because you had a kid now my life can't matter because we don't have because the company won't pay to have enough managers to cover managers to have lives everything is literally based off please don't let anything happen to this person please don't let anything happen to this person's kid if it does hopefully they have a girlfriend or wife they trust like the amount of just chess playing you have to do with chess pieces, your brain don't get sick or hurt or injured or quit or get a better offer or whatever is gets pretty insane after a certain period of time. And so I just hold on one sec. I love how I say just one sec like you'd have any idea I stepped away or not. So anyway, when I'm thinking about this 4000 weeks or these this time, like there's a piece of this that really puts it down into, and people say this stuff, but I feel like they say it in cliches like, oh, they grow up fast. Oh, blinking, it's over, whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, but what are you doing about that? How are you, but what are you doing to not be that cliche or lose that time or waste that time? I mean, I... I hear a lot of stuff about retirement, making sure you have enough for retirement, blah, 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 which, you know, yes, that's the world we live in and that's what you need to do. And you can't, you know, expect you're going to get hit by a car and not have to worry about it. But also like you could get hit by a car and not have to worry about it. So it's like, is that your kid going to be like, oh, I only ended up with 20,000 weeks with my dad or 10 weeks with my dad or whatever it is. And he spent it at the office. He spent it working. He spent it not here. Or when, you know, some accident happened and he was taken, like, I had all of this time with him. I had these memories with him. I had these moments with him. And I've talked about this before. Like, I'm not going to leave. I mean, again, I could stumble into the lottery or something, but I'm not, which would be really crazy since I don't buy lottery tickets, but you never know. And so, yeah, maybe, but at this point, I'm not leaving my daughter a ton of money, but what like you have to make your own money like that's what I did like nobody I don't have a trust fund or anything and and I I figured it out on my own and I think life is meant to be figured out on its own like when we get handed stuff we appreciate it less we don't we don't work for it we don't have the striving for it we don't have the the good feelings we get from accomplishing something and there's like periods in our lives where we just don't fully grasp things or understand things or we have to learn things. And yeah, there was a period in my 20s where it would have been great to, to, you know, have a trust fund or something. But what would I have done with that? Nothing good, probably, most likely. 
it wouldn't have been anything good. And so I guess the long and the short of it is the, the trade-off in time. Would my daughter rather me die at a certain age and leave her a bunch of money or have a history of good memories, a father who was there for her, the sacrifices he made, the things he traded to be with her and have time with her. And even now I feel guilty over the time I don't have because of work and, you know, needing to make enough money to pay bills and have a roof over her head. But, but still I would trade it in a heartbeat if I could figure it out to just have that time with her, just be able to get her home and let her do her thing. So as I kind of like start to ramble there, one of the things he talked about in the 4,000 hours was wanting to be a good dad. And that's why he made some life changes and, uh, luck, he got lucky or worked hard or whatever. And, you know, wrote this book and created a second career, but he quit his job to try to be a better father for his kids and his opinion and his worldview and where he was at and what he wanted to do or be for as a father. And, he talked about how he like was reading these parent books and one of them's like, you know, you got to let them be independent and do this or that or else they're going to grow up to be sociopaths or you got to control every moment and watch them every second, do this or that or else they're going to grow up to be a-holes or whatever. And he's like, yeah, like there's just, there's no right answer. So you got to do what you feel is right or think is right. But I do think there's some fundamentals about, you know, good sleep, healthy eating, exercise and being present. And not everybody can do that, which is where I think some of the issues come in. Okay, so the point is we have 4,000 weeks and we shouldn't be buying our kid a $1,000 robot to be their friend and we shouldn't be putting them in front of YouTube videos to teach them things and we shouldn't be giving them iPads to teach them to read and, you know, everybody's trying their best. Everybody's doing what their thing is right. And we were told at a certain point these were the way, the future, this is what we needed to do and the kids who didn't have these things were suffering. And that was one of the things I was learning in my research that I was doing for the paper is... All these schools were touting, we have iPads, we have smart screens, we have this or that. And then all these poorer kids in poor districts and stuff didn't have those things. And so it was like, oh, look, you miss out. Oh, look, we need to get, even Obama came out and said, like, we need to get these devices in every school or whatever it was. Well, some of the research is starting to come out and the kids who had all this technology or have all this technology actually have less critical thinking skills. The kids that didn't have these poor schools are actually showing better critical thinking skills, are actually showing more empathy for their fellow classmates, are showing more of a connection. Like the experiment we had, and it's not great, but it's you can't go to a school district and say, hey, we need to back off this technology because they're going to say, oh, no, we were told we needed this technology and we just spent a crap ton of money on it. And now we can't, what do we do, just throw it out? Like one, yeah, you don't double, well, people do double down on their mistakes. That's psychology too. But it's like, oh, what's the uh, cost fallacy? Sunk cost fallacy, where it's just like, oh no, we just got to keep going and going and going. Now we got to hire people to take care of these products. And now we got to hire people to run the administration stuff. Now we have to have somebody in charge of the Wi-Fi. Now we have to have somebody who can troubleshoot. Now we have to have somebody who's 24 hour tech support. Now we have to have somebody who can go to teachers' homes and help them set up. Like, just keep sinking the money in when you just need to get rid of it. Give the kids a piece of paper and a pencil and say, here's all the technology you need to learn math. Period. End of story. Maybe a teacher at the front of the classroom trying to help you out or at least has the answers in the back of the book, if nothing else. Which is another book I'm reading right now called Teacher Wars, which is insane and heartbreaking, too. So evolutionarily, we did really good for a while, and then we just kind of started stumbling and messing things up. 
end. So there's kind of like this curve, and we're on the bell part of the curve now of how we evolved. And it's funny because, and I'm going to let you go here in a second. I just, I hear these things where like, oh, if it weren't for this, then we wouldn't have the technology we have today. Or if it weren't for this person, then we wouldn't be where we're at here. And I'm like, is that good though? We're so stuck in this moment. We're so obsessed with the things we have instead of stopping to think, are these the things we need to have? Or, I mean, people are starting to push back and say like, yeah, this stuff's caused global warming and food shortages and killing fish by the trillions and destroying the ecosystem and all this stuff. People are starting to talk about it. They're starting to like push back on it a little bit. But the majority of people, including, you know, 50% of U.S. government employees right now are touting that they don't believe in it. So... So I just, every time I hear somebody say that, I just, my heart sinks a little because I'm like, you're not even thinking if that's even the right thing. You're not even processing. And so we do these things and we keep pushing harder and harder and harder and saying, look, 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 look. And it's just, no, (laughs) like you just don't. And the research shows you just don't. And it shows that when you read on these things, it's less. When you take pictures instead of being the moment, it's less. And we think, oh, I got a cute picture of my kid. And I've done it. And I just did it recently because your brain just, oh, I want to capture this moment. But it's just, it's a wasted moment because now I have a picture and I can text it out and I can send it. And every once in a while, there's some value in that just for people, especially now during COVID where you can't get together to see people. But so there's a value in that. But it's just, when are you doing it too much? And when are you taking a picture instead of just being in the moment or having trouble being in the moment. So you think, oh, I'm going to take a picture of this because I don't know how to be in this moment. So I'm just going to like use it as an excuse to take a picture and say that's what I'm doing. So that's my moxie rant. That's my little uh, download of the book, 4,000 Weeks, which I'll link to both of those in the show notes. And uh, thank you again for listening, for being here. Uh, I appreciate it. Two seasons, 51 episodes of season two, and I don't know, over 150 maybe close to 200 episodes total i deleted season one uh anyway and also i have decided i'm going to try to get a little bit better at just talking uh trying not to have so much um trying to do something and just do the thing i want to do which is kind of what i did today about talking about moxie which has been on my brain for a long time because god that thing broke my heart just crushed me All right, with that said, in my lonely moxie talking to this microphone kind of way, I'm just going to let you go now. Thank you for listening to A Better Father. If you're thinking about buying the moxie, I hope I talked you out of it. If you bought the moxie, I'm sorry. See if they will return it, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, if you get a chance, 4,000 hours, I got it on the Libby app from my local library. If you don't have it, get it, download it, listen to it for free. It's totally worth it, and it'll shift your perspective. Thank you for listening to A Better Father. Goodbye.